The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, Episode 77. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Andorian Incident, an episode from this Enterprise series. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well. Uh, folks, if you have not done so yet, uh, please be sure to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Spotify, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications when there's a new episode. I do want to let you know about a new show that's on the network, uh, or should I say a returning show, The Return of The Secrets of Star Wars, uh, with the launch of Disney Plus and The Mandalorian, which has been awesome. We were just talking about that at length before we started recording this episode. Uh, and with the, the coming of Rise of Skywalker and so much Star Wars, we, th we said now is the time to relaunch The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Uh, if you don't, have never heard it before, it's a lot like what we do here. And uh, the, we have a whole new panel of uh, new uh, people to talk about it, led by Father Andrew Kinstetter, who is known online as Father Fett. Uh, so you should, uh, you should definitely check that out. It's at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. Uh, we have a couple episodes out already. And so it'll be really quick for you to catch up on what's going on. And plus, we have the historical uh, the, the, the episodes that go into the past, which uh, Father Roderick Von Hogan and I did when we did a few years ago with uh, Force Awakens and some other stuff with Rogue One and Last Jedi and that sort of thing. But the new episodes are coming out now, so definitely check that out, sqpn.com slash Star Wars. All right, but today we're talking about here, Star Trek. And this is an episode that aired in that first season of Enterprise, October 2001. And it's the sixth episode of that season. And it introduces us to the origin of a very important Federation species, the Andorians. Who we almost never get to see. Exactly. That's right. That's right. I was trying to remember, do we see them at all in the TNG era? series um we see an image of one when data's daughter lal is picking body forms one of them right. she considers is an andorian right but right other than uh, that they don't we don't see them as actual characters within the stories i didn't think so no yeah. no which is you know unfortunate given how important they're supposed to be to the founding of the federation they're one of the original four five yeah species? four four races five planets four races something like that yeah so interesting aspect to this this story is originally the Andorians were supposed to be the Gorn, the big lizard uh, creatures that Kirk <laughs> really? battles. Yeah, they they were going to make them the bad guys until someone realized that the Gorn don't talk. 
I was just, that was the first thing that occurred to me. I mean, how are you going to get a Gorn saying, what's it to you, pink skin? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's going to come out as... Yeah. <laughs> Although, at one point, you could have someone, you know, say to one of the Gorn, clever girl, or <laughs> something, oh, a, yeah. a Jurassic Park reference. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, I think good choice. Go with it, because the Gorn were already bad guys. Whereas here, the Andorians are in the next generation era, in the original series era, they are our friends. We're allies. But here, as we begin, they're not quite. In fact, there's all kinds of suspicion among the Federation foundering species. Yeah. I mean, this was the first contact between humans and Andorians. So right. uh, not, a, not a very good first contact experience. Although, in the end, it works in out okay, end. right? Yeah. But uh, I do want a couple other uh, notes about the show, you know, behind the scenes. This was the first time directing by Roxanne Dawson, who played Belana Torres on Voyager, oh, okay. who, who would go on to direct 10 more episodes, or 10 total episodes, of Enterprise. Did she, is, is it her first time directing on Enterprise? Because I thought she was started directing on Voyager. Uh, I'm sorry, first time directing Enterprise. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I, I was going to say, I thought she later seasons of uh, Voyager, she started directing. Yep. And in fact, and she's gone on uh, post of, uh, Star Trek, to right. direct lots of other things, just like a lot of the other uh, Star Trek actors, like um, uh, Riker, uh, Jonathan Frakes, and <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> and, it, it, uh, and others. Yeah. It's interesting. I was listening to a history of Star Trek of the newer stuff, and Frakes, Jonathan Frakes, was the first one of the actors to start directing, and he really got—I I forget which showrunner it was that he was working with—but you know, he expressed an interest in it, and the guy said, "Okay." I want you to jump through all these hoops if you're going to do this. I want you to basically go to director school mm -hmm. That's good. while you're also doing your other stuff. And so he had to, you know, learn the entire directing process and stuff. And then from there, other actors started getting interested in doing it. And so other TNG actors started to do directing. And then in Voyager, they started to do directing. But there was a selection process. They just didn't let anybody direct. Right. And there were, the showrunner didn't name any names, but <laughs> he indicated that there were certain actors he was totally not interested in having direct <laughs> because they didn't meet certain basic professionalism requirements. Oh, and that was one of the foundational things. You need to be on time. You need to know your lines. You need to show you can manage your time if you want to take on this additional stuff. And apparently some actors didn't meet those requirements. And so I started mentally ticking through who didn't direct. Yeah, because you know, like LeVar Burton was one who directed uh, in yeah. Voyager. Robert Duncan McNeil is one who directs. Yeah. Yep. Um, in fact, he goes on to a, a career in directing, post-acting, mm -hmm. uh, which is a big, a big career in that. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think, frankly, Harry Kim was one of the ones that he wasn't interested in letting direct. Uh, well, he was yeah. pretty young as a he as was very actor, young. Yeah. So that's yeah. understandable. Yeah, Garrett Wang. Um yeah, that's interesting. The, the, yeah, it, although of course Leonard Nimoy directed a Star Trek movie, but that was that was after he'd already done Three Men and a Baby and, you know, right. he'd had some chops exactly. there. But yeah. Um so speaking of uh people who do a lot of different things. Uh, we have uh, a, an, another actor coming back from D, D Space Nine playing yet another alien. I mean, this guy plays them all. Jeffrey Combs, uh, who is Brunt and Wei-Yoon in DS9, and a third character, which I don't remember, but another yeah, one. A minor one. Makeup, yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. he was on Voyager, 
in the Sunkatse mm-hmm. episode. You will know the Sunkatse episode when I tell you that was the one with The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> that, Jeffrey Coombs is just great. He brings every part to life. I mean, what oh, a reanimator that guy is. He is He's so incredible. good. So, uh, I st- think I slipped one past y'all. Neither one of you reacted to the reanimator joke. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Some in the audience will know that. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, uh, the, so the story is that Enterprise is visits a Vulcan monastery only to find that it's in the midst of uh, being taken over by a group of Andorians. And so, what happens and what what goes on there? That's that's really the the big story. One of the things that that uh, has been established that gets challenged a lot in the series is that Vulcans don't lie. Well, this is the episode which puts the lie to the Vulcans don't lie uh, a statement, uh, because uh, obviously they do, um, as we find and out here. They, and they did as soon as they told us they didn't. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> no, I don't think anybody ever even believed that, them that they don't lie, because, you know. Yeah. Uh, as soon as Vulcans don't lie, I exaggerated. <laughs> you lied. <laughs> yes. You lied, yep. Yeah. But this was a huge deal. They got tons of hate over For this, this one? from yeah, yeah from uh, because the Vulcans are lying in this. In a um, oral history of Star Trek that I was listening to, they were talking about how like they came in over the weekend and their voicemail was just full. Of, <laughs> I mean, had maxed out uh, with messages about Vulcans don't lie. People were just <laughs> raging against this. <laughs> well, and it, it, I know we've talked about it before. Is one of the risks they took with Enterprise, which kind of did blow up in their face a little bit, was making the Vulcans kind of sort of bad guys. Not not yeah. totally, you know, evil, but just not good. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what, yeah, that was a, a very key aspect of, of Enterprise's personality was kind of re taking making us take a step back from the Vulcans and, and look at, you know, Maybe there are ways that we need to, uh, you know, that that they aren't the perfect people, you know, species that we have thought them to be. I understand that dramatically you want to create room for growth for the relationship between the two species. But the problem is when you already have beloved characters or a beloved race, it makes it hard to say, let's tell the story of how we became friends. Right. And let's have them be jerks since we have to be sympathetic to the humans. So it's kind of like, I understand what you're going for in writing artistic terms, but that doesn't mean it's going to create an enjoyable experience. There are certain mm-hmm. certain movies where you just don't kill the dog. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I do want to come back to that, uh, uh, what you said, Jimmy, about how they, their voicemail was filled with criticism. And there was a lot of criticism at first. But this was one of those stories that ages well uh, in the sense that it eventually became one of the fans' favorite episodes of Enterprise. I, I, it's one of my favorites. I really enjoyed yeah, this. I, I'll this say this one. is probably one of my favorites. It's probably one of the better episodes, if not the best episode, of season one. That's for sure. Yes. yes. As long as you add season one, yeah. Yes. Uh and like so, I said, season one. Yeah, right, right. Season ones of the Star Trek have been very difficult. Uh, let's just put it that way. Uh, so, uh, in fact, it was rated number two fan favorite in an online poll. So uh, take take that for what you will. Um, and so th- uh, that was interesting to to hear. Um, although the um, uh, season three, I think it was one from season three that was the favorite. I forget which one it was. 
so let's talk about this. So they're going to this Vulcan monastery, and I'm wondering, are Vulcan monasteries more like Catholic monasteries or Buddhist monasteries? Those look very Buddhist. Buddhist. Yes, <laughs> I felt like that. Um, so in, in fact, it, the architecture looked very much. In fact, it looked like it was up in in the mountains, like you know Nepal or you know Tibet, that sort of thing. Um, Though there are Christian monasteries built right on mountaintops. That's right. In fact, yes. some of them you have to climb a cliff face to get to. That's right. Ooh, cool. Uh, yeah, Mount Athos is on a mountaintop, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I just what... want to know more about Vulcan religion. Yes. You know, <laughs> come on. We've had allusions to Vulcan gods. So, are they still worshiping them? Or what? Tell me about them. Yeah, is it more of is it more like Buddhism, which is more a philosophy, or is it more like well, that depends on which religion. which Buddhism you're talking about. If yeah. you're talking Theravada Buddhism, it's more like a philosophy. But if you're talking Mahayana Buddhism, it's totally oh, we got gods coming out the everything. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you I'm glad you added it yourself. <laughs> a god for you, and a god for you, and a god for you. Yeah. Everybody, it's Oprah. Everybody gets gods. Well, in uh, this this. As, as what little you see of it in this particular episode, I I felt like it was it's very much the philosophical Buddhist type, where you know it's all about getting you know controlling the emotion and meditation and right and and that's what they do at this place. This place is called Pajem, and they uh, practice the Kalinar emergent emotion purging right. thing there. Yeah. So and it's three thousand years old, and I'm so glad it's three thousand years old because I'm sick of everything in imaginative literature being two thousand years old. It's so like, that- come on! <laughs> I know Jesus was born two thousand years ago, and that is extremely important. But that doesn't mean everything significant happened exactly two thousand years ago. This raises an, a, a question for me that I have in my notes, which is. The temple's almost 3,000 years old. It's not on Vulcan, which means that the Vulcans have been warp-capable for appreciably more yeah. than 3,000 years. And mm-hmm. look at what they did with it. You right. know, they're not interested in conquest. They just say, oh, let's make some place to meditate and spy on our neighbors. Right. Well, they're, they're not interested. Yeah. They're not interested in conquest. And they're not really interested in exploring either. That's the thing. That's yeah. one thing they've talked about before in the series. Right, right. It's It's kind of an interesting idea that, like, they've been warp-capable for— if for ages, but yeah, the the humans we kind of catch up pretty quickly technologically at least, uh, but in other ways too. Um, by the way, in Dorian Antenna, in this, are they CG or are they practical effects? They're practical. Uh, they're effects. practical. Because they I were like really good. They, I like that they move. Yeah. Because they didn't in the original series; they were just frozen. But I like the moving antenna. Now, now according to the the yeah. memory alpha, um, only three of the four were movable one of them wasn't but he, he was also he was kind of like the fourth guy you only see like once or twice throughout the entire okay thing uh he, yeah he had a disability in his i think well i think he's <laughs> yeah. i think he's the one that got clobbered when they they broke down that oh gate. through the wall yeah through the wall so th- what we have is, is that you know archer and uh, so we first we started with this teaser of a group of armed indorians breaking to a vulcan monastery we don't know anything more beyond that and then we we after the credits we have uh trip and archer talking about whether they should be using Vulcan star charts and how accurate they are. Again, Vulcans have been out there for three thousand years, and their star charts aren't very accurate. I don't know what they're doing out there, but uh, they're not. They must not be well, keeping a good good track I of t- things. I I because they find that hey, we passed a proto star last week that's not on this Vulcan star chart, and I took that as the Vulcans are obscuring information about the part of space they're in because they've got a, a secret listening post here. 
Okay, okay, that's that's Fair a valid uh, interpretation. Yep. But they notice that there's this Pajem, and it's a and I'm, I gather it's not near Vulcan because they don't say that they're at Vulcan. Well, but it must be because Vulcan and yeah. Andor are neighboring systems, and it's monitoring Andor. Right. So, so this this is all. I mean, we're all within a few dozen light years of Earth here. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 it's a little tricky because a couple episodes ago they were way out uh, beyond as further than. Anybody had gone? You remember they were that that colony that the the uh, the, the, the the turtle people. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so. as Einstein proved, space is elastic. So right, and they've they've rubber banded back across. So uh, so as you said, Pajem is a place of colonar and quiet contemplation. And Archer wants to go, uh, which to me seems like an imposition. I mean, they want to be you know a, the bunch of emotional uh, uh, humans show up and there is a spiritual tourism aspect to this, oh, <laughs> right? Yes. And Paul, you know, does say you'd be unwelcome there. Oh, we're going to go anyway. Like, okay. <laughs> it seems, seems a little rude, but okay. If you've ever been to a, to a holy site like in the Holy Land or in, in Italy, there's as many people who go there just to see the place than there is yes. to actually go there and pray. So, yes. Probably understandable. More. <laughs> right. Um, so then we have the scene of Paul and Phlox having dinner, which is this very awkward scene. Uh, T'Pol tells Flox that being seen by other Vulcans with a human crew would be awkward for her, which is interesting. <laughs> but Flox reaching over and taking celery off of T'Pol's plate before asking is also kind of awkward. And I was wondering whether Flox was doing that sort of as a lesson in awkwardness or just Flox being Flox. Which I might had be. the same wonder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might be a combination of both. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. It's interesting to see, you know, Phlox and, and T'Pol are so very different, yet because they're the only two aliens on Enterprise, they're sort of thrown in together a lot. It's sort of, mm-hmm. this is, and I, I think uh, my guess, my, my guess is more, probably more than, more than a guess, is that Phlox's design as a character was disposed, supposed to be as opposite from T'Pol kind of as you can Oh, yeah. Oh, know, yeah. If we the have the cool, distant, reserved alien, we need the enthusiastic, open-to-experience alien. Yeah. A lot of people who had a criticism for Phlox earlier on that he was just another Neelix, which was a difficulty uh, for the actor to... way really... better than Neelix. He yeah, is not oh, yeah. emotionally challenged, adolescent, juvenile, jealous guy that <laughs> Neelix was. <laughs> He's just over, gonna, overly exuberant way yeah. too many times. We're going to delve into this thing you have about Neelix later on in the Voyager episode, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, so then we have this scene where Archer feels awkward because they haven't been able to get the monks on the phone first and with, you know, when they show up, which I'm like, well, you should have thought of that before you, you know, diverted and showed up there. But, you know, you're there. Um, so they, they come to the temple and uh, to Paul gives them all kinds of instructions ahead of times of, of the proper behavior and the way to do things and and Trip has this remark like I thought Starfleet training was hard and it's dude this is just basic <laughs> you should yeah. be right. glad there aren't more rules right this is like be quiet don't speak unless you're spoken to do this little little thing with the rock and yeah, yeah that, and basic that's etiquette no big deal. I mean this yeah it's not it's not hard. Um, so the, they get there, and just like T'Pol had said that maybe this would happen, it's a time of colonar, and therefore no outsiders. Um, and Archer's you know a little disappointed, but then T'Pol notices something is wrong, that their things are broken and displaced. And yeah, I noticed that way quicker than T'Pol did. Yeah, yeah exactly. well, they noticed the door was broken open. Uh, yeah. But uh, 
So Archer kind of vamps uh, with the Elder, which is kind of a funny scene as he's kind of like gabbing along. And you can tell the Elder's like, oh, humans. And uh, <laughs> until he notices a hiding Andorian and they, they tackle him. But then the other Andorians come out of hiding and, and take them prisoner. And that's when Jeffrey Coombs' character, Shran, uh, interrogates them. And Heath accuses the Enterprise of being a supply ship, bringing surveillance equipment. And this is where he comes up with the uh, that racial slur uh, uh, that he calls Archer pink skin, which is fair. Which, which is fair. It's, I totally yeah. don't mind that. I think I, that's yeah. it's kind of refreshing, yeah. you know, uh, because in our culture, I mean, when you're dealing with someone who is visibly different than you are, it's natural to, you know, note the things right. that are different. Right. And so, of course, an alien who is blue is going to note that, that, you know, many humans, at least the ones he's meeting, are pink. Yes. And use that as a reference to them. So, you know, that's, that's, it's, it, it doesn't, I, I find it amusing. It, it, it was, the roles were reversed at a different time. You know, I could see a human calling him, you know, a blue guy or something. You know, yeah, yeah. blue man group. <laughs> call call yeah. the Andorians blue man group would be funny. Uh, and uh, and his response should be, "I'm not a man." <laughs> right. Yeah. The uh, I'm I'm curious what would happen if Meriwether and um, uh, Hoshi had come down Hoshi. with them. Yeah, that yeah, would have well, been then, interesting. Then the, then the joke wouldn't have worked. And, exactly. Do and do Andorians come in other colors? Yes, uh, they do. They do. Okay. I'm trying to remember that. Um, so anyway, it, we're, it's established that Vulcan and Andor are in neighboring systems. And T'Pol says the Andorians resent this Vulcan superior reasoning and technology. And I'm thinking, yeah, it couldn't possibly be your condescending attitude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I resent it on their behalf. <laughs> So, there's there's a there's a, a a later line in this episode where T'Pol is schooling um, uh, Archer and she's saying we don't believe in responding to violence with violence and in my notes I extended her quote with we believe in responding with scorn and condescension <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. a raised eyebrow in, in yeah. response <laughs> so here we have the elder like the the Archer and T'Pol and Trip are thrown into this this room that's being used as a cell with the other with the the elder and the other Vulcans and the elder flat out lies about not being spies or having technology beyond what they see um that's it's a flat out untruth right there and yep. then the Vulcans blame the enterprise for he's, he's just exaggerating <laughs> just exactly the uh, the Vulcans blame the Enterprise for amplifying the Andorians' suspicions. You've endangered us all, and you could have added like jerks, which yeah. like not smoking. You jerks. <laughs> and, and the reason he says that is because the Andorians have been here twice before, and they've always left within twenty four hours when they didn't find anything. But now that Enterprise has shown up, they think it's a resupply ship, and right. that's what's increased their suspicion. So they're not going to just leave within twenty four hours, right? Now, for the first time, Reed has been left in charge on board. He's the senior officer back on board Enterprise. And um, we have this, you know, he's getting worried. And, and it comes up, he says, he thinks it should be standard procedure to scan for ships as you arrive at a planet and for away teams to check in every 10 minutes, which is actually what standard procedure is in the original series and Next Gen and Deep Space Nine. In fact, so it's Malcolm Reed who comes up with these procedures for security uh, for a future, which I like, I like that because I, I like be, read be, because of course it is. Yeah, of course it is. Yep. Well, Enterprise not, is out there first. You know, they're do they're establishing you know, it's things. It's not like we wouldn't have thought of these things now-ish. 
Yeah, right. But, but yeah. Um, but I, I, I like Reed, and I like I, I think his caution is not followed often enough by the others. That's well, he's that he's way. definitely a counterbalance to kind of the exuberance of of uh, Captain Archer, where he wants to see everything and check everything out and get out there and do it, and and you know, I forget the consequences. Let's go. At least he's not right. the security guy who wants to shoot everything and use violence at the first opportunity, yeah. like war for other stereotypical people. Or the Marine who shows up later on in the uh, mm-hmm. later series, uh, later Nickel, seasons yeah. of this. Yeah. Um, I like, I like this uh, little bit of uh, this moment where Hoshi says, oh, they're probably just in some kind of meditation ritual and cut to Shran beating the heck out of, out of Archer <laughs> Very <laughs> while meditative. he's interrogating him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, By the way, one of the there's something that really I did had not remembered this, but there's one of the Andorians who's like a pervert. Oh yeah, he um, creeps on because he yeah. as soon as he meets to Paul, he's like, "I'll enjoy having you as a prisoner." Yeah, and the pause is deliberately in there, and I thought, oh, yeah. "Okay, are there, there?" That seems like a pretty strong hint, and then it gets even more clear later in the episode oh, yeah. where he comes right. up to her and is like. I've heard about your Vulcan mating rituals. I hear yep. you actually have men kill each other. Would you like me to kill someone for you? And then Archer <laughs> speaks. Would you like me to kill him for you? It's yeah. like, okay, creepy perv guy. <laughs> yeah. Don't know if I want you in this story. Yeah, that that was that was really kind of creepy and a, a, a weird addition to it, but um, different time. Not I guess. normally yeah. what we get on Star Trek. Yes. Well, okay, wait a minute. Until Except recently. in a Gene Roddenberry episode. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you're forgetting Gene Roddenberry did this several times, actually, in the original series in TNG. But yes. Uh, so uh, back you know, back in the Enterprise, Reed is trying to contact the captain. Shran picks up the communicator and issues his threats. And, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't come down in your shuttle. We're monitoring you. And then so Reed says, okay, let's get the shuttle prepped. And Meriwether's like, but he said not to go down. And he's like, I don't take orders from a calm voice, Ensign, not unless it belongs to the captain. Like, Reed's like, you know, forget that guy. I'm I'm doing what needs to be done. And Shran smashes all the communicators. It's like, (laughs) you know there's a powerful alien ship in orbit, and you're smashing all of the means of communicating with it? Really? Right, because he can't, he doesn't know about transporters, so he can't, uh, be thinking that the communicators could be used for transport lock-on, right? And mm-hmm. and it's a basic uh, uh, principle of hostage negotiation to keep the lines of communication open or you escalate things. Uh, you know, he would expect things to escalate from there if he does that. So yeah, that is very strange. So the uh, there is a scene where the Elder and T'Pol are kind of talking about her having to be on the Enterprise and the smell must be intolerable <laughs> because Vulcans do not like the way the humans smell. <laughs> Uh, she says uh, that she uses a uh, a, a nose spray Na- that deadens. Yeah, yeah, nasal an- analgesic, I think, something like that. It's a nasal yep. deadener. Yeah, so yeah. kills her sense of smell, but she has to take it every twenty four hours, and it's starting um, to wear off. <laughs> yeah, and so this made me think. So since Spock is half human, he must not smell right. Maybe that's part of why Vulcan, he was so unpopular as a child. He didn't smell like all the other Vulcan boys. That's a very interesting question. Yeah. Uh, and Vulcans must have a, an advanced sense of smell like uh, like everything else they have, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Especially so Ar- Vulcan females, which is also true of human females. They have better senses of smell than human males, typically. That's right. 
Uh, Archer knows Malcolm Reed very well, and so he knows he needs to act before Reed sends an armed landing party down. And then the Elder... It's, it's like, okay, but actually that would be a good thing. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. But uh, the Elder suddenly remembers that, oh, you know, we do have an old transmitter down in the basement. Oh, I thought you didn't have any technology. Well, it's it's in the catacombs, which are hidden, and which uh, they say contain the most sacred relics, and which happens to have an entrance in this very room that we're being held prisoner in. A uh, secret entrance. The secret entrance, that's right. Um, and uh, Tucker says, for people without emotions, you people sure have a flair for the dramatic, <laughs> which is <Yeah. laughs> a good line. I like that. Um, so Tucker and uh, a young Vulcan go down into the catacombs and uh, pass yeah. by a bunch of mummified bodies of dead monks, uh, which mm-hmm. we see. Including one of the founders of the order. It's like, oh, that's our great master founder there you're looking at. Right. And then we have this dramatic moment of a surprise bed check in the middle of the night uh, when the, the Andorians come in, uh, but Trip and the other Vulcan are already back, uh, even though uh, they did find the transmitter and he got it working and was able to talk with Enterprise. Um, Tell them not to come down immediately. Yep. yep. By the way, there's also, and we didn't mention this, but when you come in the main entrance into the monastery, right. there's a giant face on the wall, like from the underwater menace on Doctor Who. It's yes. like, you know, clearly. Um, a big face, and it has <laughs> it has you know eyes and a mouth that are practical to the extent that they're they are holes. Right. So there's you know there's something on the other side of this face, and in the sequence where Trip and the Vulcan guy go down into the catacombs, we clearly see the other side of this face. Right. So you know the catacombs entrance leads to the back of this face. Right. I do. I don't want to go too far with this because it concerns with how the resolution of this episode. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do want to bring that up in the context of that. But yes, that, just that's wanted to good... mention we've got this face here. Yes, yep. uh, the face is important. It's the the face of Bo uh, statue yeah. on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so, or what's that famous one in uh, Rome where you stick your hand in and if you tell a lie, oh yeah, the mouth of truth, one. the book at the veritas or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, and and uh, so the thing you do there is you put your hand in and you say I will not be able to pull my hand out and it creates a logical paradox and the universe ends. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And Rome collapses around you. Oh, what have you done? So anyway, Archer has this idea to beam a landing party into their room for the element of surprise, but to Paul rejects it. A firefight in close quarters with a dozen monks? That's her objection. I'm thinking, well, first you open up the door to the catacombs and you send the dozen monks into it. Then you yeah. beam the armed landing party in, and you're laying in wait for the, the Andorians. And furthermore, you beam the... Cause, and actually, I like this that they're thinking this through, that it does take time for the transporter to work, and it does make noise. Right. Yep. So apparently, the transporter sounds we've been hearing all these years are diegetic. They are not non-diegetic sounds. Right. So the, she says the noise would alert of the transporter would alert the Andorians, and they would start firing before the materialization process was complete. So, okay. Beam them into the catacombs. Right. Block, blocks the noise, and they can't shoot them. Right. Yep. Or block the door so that they can't get in right away while the transporter yeah. finishes. Yeah. There's ways around it. Anyway. Uh, Archer offers to snuggle with Paul under his blanket for warmth, of course. Uh, it has oh, yes. no other ulterior motives. Um, but she has taken yes, her- As we find out in a night in sickbay. <laughs> right, right. Uh <laughs> Turns out that she says the cold, being cold is preferable to the smell of humans. Uh, again, she obviously gets over this in later seasons. Um, 
She she says that any casualties that occur here, whether Endorian or Vulcan, will make the tensions worse between those two worlds. And um, and I'm thinking, Vulcans are logical. Won't they see that escalation won't make things better? Like, the, I mean, why would it make it worse on Vulcan? Vulcans will say, oh, it's not logical to escalate over this incident. Uh, we should just, you know, uh, try to calm things down, right? Mm. I would think Vulcans are logical, but maybe they're not. Um, she said, this is where she says, we don't believe in responding to violence with violence. And Archer says, I admire your ethics, but right now a little violence might help. And Tabal's saying, you're beginning to sound like an Andorian. Okay. Uh, Vulcan well, ships don't have weapons. Human, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And, and that's supposed to dissuade me how? <laughs> right. Uh, so she I, literally. I'm dealing with Andorians, you know. Right, right. Uh, so then she literally gives uh, Archer the cold shoulder by turning away from him when he questions mm-hmm. her loyalty. She, well, I, she I turns away. Where, where Archer starts, you know, he starts getting a little upset, and all the Vulcans are watching. He looks, problem? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, they're all paying attention to their little argument, and he's like, what are you looking at? Uh, yeah. so, um, <laughs> so here's where Archer comes up with his elaborate plan to get into the atrium. Uh, he, 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 his he, over-elaborate plan. Oh, right? yes. So his plan is to go into get to get them to take him into the atrium, the, the the entranceway, and get beat up so he can toss something through the holes in the giant face so that they can determine that the, oh yes, this is actually accessible from the catacombs. I'm thinking, wouldn't it have been less painful just to go back into the catacombs and look through, out through the holes? I know, exactly. <laughs> yes, this is ridiculous. He gets a beating for nothing. I right. do like how he promises info and to get him out there but you know for an interrogation and then he just starts babbling um, <laughs> right that's kind of fun but yes. there is no reason for this for him to put a little tiny statue through the mouth of the face and then let them retrieve the statue from the other side to prove it's say just go look out yeah, exactly just climb that up the little le- the staircase and look yeah um uh, i did know i did have a comment where it said pajem must have uh, some sort of arachnid species because there are cobwebs yep. everywhere in the catacombs. Mm-hmm. So the, the cobwebs Parallel come from... evolution. That yep. makes sense. Uh, so the, then they have this scene where uh, Malcolm and his, his security team are going to beam down. Uh, the security crewman who doesn't like the transporter is played by the actor Jamie McShane, who is a char- one of these character actors who's been in everything. Uh, mm-hmm. But most recently, if you watch SEAL Team, he's the new captain in charge of the SEAL Team. Uh, on that, so I, I love to like to make these connections. Yeah. I like seeing actors when they were young and were well, nameless background characters. One one thing I, I do I do like at least these early episodes of Enterprise is the fact that the the transporter is treated with such concern and worry and fear because it's such an antidote to the next generation episode or season or series where they're beaming everywhere. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, I think they, I would have gone even farther. With the transporter thing, I would have had like people refusing to use it, period. Right. Yeah. And like have it be this is unproven technology. You have a constitutional right not to use this. You right. can re- legitimately refuse an order to use this. I would love to have someone like say, uh, no, this is a murder machine. It will kill me. I've, yeah. <laughs> even if I it refuse. reconstructs somebody else at the other end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, our, our philosophical opposition to it. Uh, the, so the Andorians detect the energy surge, but they don't know what it is, and they run to the to the this the, the room they're holding the prisoners in. But Reed and the others get into the tunnel just in time, which is good. By the way, I, I one aspect, even though I'm about to undercut this, I like one aspect of what's happening in this part of the episode in that they have not told us what the plan is. 
So we are having to deduce what the plan is from watching the characters' actions. We have visual storytelling Mm -hmm. occurring. It's like watching an episode of Mission Impossible where you don't know what the plan is. You have to figure it out as you go from what you see the people doing on screen. Right. I like that. Yes. But part of what they do is (laughs) they blow up the face in order to bust out and jump out and start stunning Andorians. And I'm like, why do you need to blow up the face? Why not just shoot the Andorians through the eye and mouth holes? (laughs) Right. Well, I suppose the Andorians could move out of the, you know, the, the holes are small, so you, if they could just move out of the visual range, and then you're yeah, stuck. Yeah, then you blow non- the face. N- nonsense. You, <laughs> well, you, you, you blow you, the face. You hit a couple you, of them, they move out of range, you blow the face, you hit the rest of them. Yeah, see, the other thing that the face does for you is it prevents them from easily being able to shoot back. Well, this is so, true. <laughs> which, you want the cover the face provides while you shoot from them behind cover. Because, in fact, one of the the security guys gets hit twice, but he's still able to cover them, you know, they shoot back, uh, which I'm thinking those Andorian guns must not be very powerful. (laughs) They're They're set on a low setting. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, yeah, I thought it was an interesting choice to not have uh, the Andorians kill one of the Enterprise crew here. That that had to have been a deliberate choice because then it makes the resolution less... Less distance that they have to cover emotionally and in and, and morally because, hey, you uh, killed one of my guys. Just wave, they just wouldn't wave a hand at it anyways and just kind of, uh, well, it happened. Who cares? Right. That's pr- perhaps. Also, though, if they're going to do that, they should have set up the idea that the Andorians have some kind of restraint. Yes. Which they have not. That's true. Um, so meanwhile, Archer and the others, including T'Pol, chase the Andorians into the catacombs, and then the uh, the young Vulcan... Uh, monk tags along with a with an Andorian gun and gets all antsy about Archer chasing them into this deeper section of the of the uh, called the reliquary. The reliquary. Um, and, and the older Vulcan who's in charge, the head monk whose ears are a markedly different color than his skin for some reason. <laughs> right. So <laughs> a little makeup error there. But he challenges the young Vulcan because, of course, we Vulcans don't believe in fighting violence with violence and. He obviously you should be using scorn and condescension instead of picking <laughs> right. up the Andorian phaser. Yeah, and uh, but the young Vulcan says we must protect what is ours, and that line has a double meaning. It has the yes. obvious meaning of we need to protect our sacred stuff, right? But it also means something else. We'll find out. Yes. So. It was established earlier, wasn't it, that the reliquary had not been, no one had gone into it uh, for years, the, the young Vulcan said. Right, um, right. Hence so, cobwebs. Right. But then when they run into the reliquary, the Andorians and then the, the uh, Starfleet folks after them. Uh, and immediately proceed to have a firefight in the reliquary. Well, not only that, there are lit candles in the reliquary. <laughs> These are like the longest lived candles ever. <laughs> those those are actually holographic candles. They're not real candles. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. They're yeah. illuminating yeah. sacred or something. Thank you for right. that uh, that explanation. That little headcanon there. Uh, yeah. No, I just I mean it's called sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they start blasting like the the uh, the relics, these priceless relics uh, from 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 our history. Um, it will cause irreparable damage, cultural damage to Vulcans. Well, oops. And uh, so, the, meanwhile, this incompetent Vulcan uh, monk uh, is the one who actually ends up revealing the existence of the of spy a big station. Metal door. 
yes. behind a tapestry. And in fact, it's a uh, complete Vulcan spy station. I mean, this is, place is huge that they that they stumble into. And I, I love the fact that the door opens, the uh, humans, the Endorians all come in, and the Vulcans who are inside don't seem to be all that concerned about being discovered. They're just going about their business, still they doing their thing. They don't really notice, yeah. I think yeah. it's because they're CGI. Yeah, well, that's that's why, hmm. yes. <laughs> the So let's think about this situation. You're down in the reliquary. You've got all this stuff around you. There's a tapestry on the wall. The tapestry gets pulled aside, revealing a big metal door. Yeah. If you're Captain Archer, why do you, why is your first impulse to ignore the firefight happening around you and open the big metal door? How do you know that's not leading to just another closet in the reliquary? And I mean, you're you're from Enterprise. You have big metal doors around you all the time. I think the fact that the door looks brand new and out of place technologically, well, maybe, but who knows? And yeah. in in dude, gun battle. Gun right. battle happening now. <laughs> kind of want to focus on that. Because and, you have to have the and, cool scene where he's dashing over to the other side of the door to hit the button really quickly and then getting out yeah. of cover. So so now let's think about that from the other point of view, the Vulcan point of view of, about the big metal door. Here you are in a Vulcan place, and you've got a secret listening station that is very important that you don't let the Andorians know about. So you've buried it really deeply. You've taken that as a security precaution. You've masked the signals it's generating. And you don't put a lock on the big metal door? <laughs> right. Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he just has to push the button and it opens. Um, it's like no lock code, no Vulcan biosignature scan, no nothing. I'm mean, not no, even yeah. a simple lock. Yeah, no precautions. It just opens right up. So um, Archer, you know, he, he calls the, the Andorians in. Hey, you better take a look at this. Um, he t- he's Archer is visibly angry. Makes to Paul make recordings with her tricorder, and then gives them to Shran because his people should have proof of the Vulcans violating their treaty. Um, and th- the whole thing is that it what it's supposed to do. This whole episode is supposed to turn the fans' expectations on the on their heads. There, um, we assume the Vulcans would have been honorable, and that the Andorians were only misunderstanding and you know were suspicious. And Vulcans are good, but it turns out. Nope, Vulcans were actually violating the treaty and doing something nefarious, and the Andorians were right here. And uh, it creates a situation where the Andorians are in the debt of the humans, and... And Shran says it, we are in your yeah. debt. Yes. And so this is a first step to making the Federation with Andorians in it. Right, and the interesting, you know, I think it because Archer, who not that long ago was being beaten to a pulp by Shran, you know, <laughs> was the bigger man went with principle rather than holding a grudge and creates this foundation for a future cooperation between species. Mm-hmm. Which, interesting. And, you know, I, I like that idea that they kind of establish this, they turn expectations on our head and then they establish this, uh, this relationship, this nascent relationship here in this, this one scene. So that, I thought that was pretty good. I like what they're trying to do. I don't like the execution all that much mm-hmm. um, because they come busting in here. By the way, Young puppy Vulcan with the Andorian blaster. He <laughs> yeah. wants to. He wants to kill Archer now, and Archer just sucker punches him. Yeah, right. But the real thing that I noticed here is Shran. As soon as the spy station is revealed, and it's a huge spy station, it's enormous. Oh, yeah. As soon as it's revealed, 
Shran should be shouting in outrage and triumph about, see these sneaky Vulcan people, I told you so, I told you so. He should be shouting that at the top of his lungs. But he just stands there silently because he apparently has no lines for most of the scene. And that (laughs) lets the humans do all the talking to get us to the, here's the data crystal, now we're in your debt. Right. Right. That's a good point. Yes. The, the, I mean, so, uh, we have we have this moment where Tapal is sort of silenced and she's ashamed. You could see that that mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. Uh, in her demeanor. Um, but you're right; she's not ashamed. She's it's just awkward. Yes, yes. <laughs> chagrined <laughs> might be a better word. Not yet, uh, but she certainly chagrined. Uh, and uh, yeah, you're right. I think I think there should have been more. In, in fact, it may have been it, due to uh, we're running out of time and we've got to wrap things up. Yep. Uh, aspect of things, but there should have been this. This moment where Shran is, you know, outraged, and um, the the Andorians should have been given that agency of where mm-hmm. we're taking even this. just one line, like I can't yeah. believe it. After all this time, we were right. I can't believe this. Right, you know? just right. one line like that. That's true. That's true. Uh, all right, so um, that's all for for my notes on this. So, Father Cord, do you have anything additional? Nothing here. Thoughts on this, uh, Jimmy? How about you? I appreciated what it wanted to do, but I think it got there in a big plot hole filled way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I I enjoy this. I enjoyed the Andorians. I enjoyed mm-hmm. the, you know those aspects of it. But you're right. Um, there there are these big plot holes and the the, the weird contrivances that of the plot. Uh, but um, in general, um, I, I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, like I said, and uh, it, things get better. For, uh, in future episodes with Enterprise, that's for they sure. They do. Uh, all right. So I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who made it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Bradley J., Cynthia A., Melanie Q., Dana C., and George H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show every week for us. Uh, we are very grateful for his volunteer capacity of lending us his audio editing skills. So that's it from us. What do you think of the Andorian incident, this Enterprise episode? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or you can send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Star Trek Discovery episode, Choose Your Pain. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, don't get your antennas in a twist. Although I I did, like, if anyone has suggestions, I'm all ears. No offense.